Hello, my name is Tom Burton. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll recap the first flight of the world's first all-electric commuter plane, while Tom explores an exciting opportunity from Airbus. Joe will update us on the latest with Russia, while I look at a special Airbus A320neo delivery. Finally, I'll take a look at the final flight of a very special aircraft and see what happens next. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, first flights, final flights. I guess we should start at the beginning with first flights. <laughs> I thought I'd put them in that order. It seems mm. better to start with the good news and finish with the, the less good news, maybe. Mm. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the first flight of an airplane we know as Alice. Alice? Who the ah. heck is Alice? <laughs> um, we met Alice back in 2019 at the Paris Air Show when it was, I don't think it had any engines at the time. Um, and things have come on a long way since then because last week it took its first ever flight. Um, so it had done some high-speed taxi tests the week before um, and then it took off uh, last Thursday at just before 7 o'clock in the morning Pacific time from Moses Lake in Washington. The event was live-streamed to invited guests, of which I was one, yay. <laughs> um, so we watched the prep uh, it was kind of sat on the at the parking spot and lots of checks were being done and then it taxied off to the runway and then it held and then it came back again to the parking spot um, clearly something was not quite right and I was thinking oh my goodness that's it the, the flight's cancelled we're not going to see anything today but it was literally just for a few minutes because then she went back to the runway um, and got ready for launch and it was around 10 past 7 Pacific time when she was back on the runway and ready to go um, she shot down the runway. I was really impressed at the acceleration. I think it's a, a thing with electric powered um, yeah, machines. I think anything en empty as well, you know, it just, yeah. um, I saw an empty ATR take off in Toulouse and it was like a rocket. Yeah, <laughs> she was like a rocket. Um, yeah, but the takeoff was very clean. She was into the air and she spent about nine minutes going around the skies above Moses Lake. Um, they were obviously doing a lot of their predefined tests and manoeuvres and things like that. Um, and then she touched down perfectly safely. Um, and yeah, kind of proves that nothing is impossible because people didn't think electric flight of this scale even was going to be possible. It is only a nine-seater aircraft, of course, um, but it is going to be the first all-electric passenger airplane to enter commercial service. Um, it's designed for quite short hops, around 250 nautical miles, although that might get longer with battery technology as it improves. Um, and the power plants, of course, are the two 850 horsepower Magni X and, uh, motors. Um, and all the, the power for the airplane is stored in a 900 kilowatt hour battery. I mean, that's, that's a lot of battery. Um, anyway, I was really excited to see this milestone. Um, so I had a chat with Greg Davis, who's the CEO of Aviation, um, to see how he thought the test flight went down. Um, and he said that they were absolutely thrilled with the performance of the plane. Um, their test pilot, Steve Crane, noted that it had handled really, really well. Um, Apparently, that short return to the parking spot was just a, a reconfiguration of the screens. There's a, it's got an all-glass cockpit and there's a lot of screens and options there. So they were just changing some things, tinkering with some settings, and then off she went. Um, but I was really pleased to have the chat with Greg Davis because I got to ask a lot of other burning questions about this very unusual little plane. Um, so my first question, and I think it would be many people's, is why the heck does it look like that? Um, if you've seen Alice, she's a very unusual shaped aircraft. 
soft, very flat bottomed, kind of wider at the bottom, going up to a point at the top and very futuristic looking, almost like a spaceship. Um, And he said that, you know, this was partly an aesthetic thing. They did want to make it look futuristic and interesting, but also it's to accommodate all those batteries. Um, They need to put them in the central structure of the plane because unlike aviation fuel, which gets lighter the further you fly, the weight of batteries never changes. So the centre of gravity needs to stay the same. You need to make sure that the batteries are are in the location where you can optimise the structure to support them. Um, You know, it's a lot of weight. It's £8,000 worth of batteries. Um, So there is some extra lift generated by the flat bottom, which is helpful, but mostly it's all about storing those huge batteries. Um, So what's next for Alice now she's done her first flight? Are we going to see more flights this year? Probably not, um, in short. So this test flight will have given them loads of data and information they can go away and learn from. Um, The next few weeks or even months are probably going to be all about analysing this data and understanding what they need to do next. There may be some alterations to the design. They're working very closely with their customers. So far, I think they've got orders from Cape Air, um, Global Crossing, as well as a commitment for a cargo version from DHL. Um, So they'll be working alongside those Uh, existing customers and with any potential future customers to design a plane that's not only sustainable, but also very fit for purpose. Um, What I did find interesting, though, is that another three Alice's are going to be built before certification takes place. So the very next one they produce will be another prototype. um, But then test aircraft three and four will be actual production planes, which will eventually get an airworthiness certificate and possibly end up in somebody's fleet. Um, So all that's got to happen before they can even start the the flight testing and at the moment current battery technology is still kind of pacing the company at how fast they can move towards certification alice does fly with the batteries they've got now but obviously it's going to fly a lot better and a lot further if the battery industry can get to grips with this densification of batteries that's going on at the moment um you know davis was very confident it would happen in time um and service entry isn't targeted until 2027 so they've got time to get hmm. this right um maybe you should have was, a chat with elon <laughs> yeah they seem to have uh, niched it for the tesla but i think it's got to be an awful lot bigger um but i'm sure they're, they're working with lots of people like that um but what i was interested was to find out if there was going to be something bigger than alice um because obviously alice is an interesting commuter plane but you know we're really into planes that are a bit bigger than that um but he said no probably not this airline airplane occupies a very specific niche it's in a sweet spot where you can have just one pilot you can have an optimal amount of passengers you can fly some really um you know popular routes even though it's a short distance you know he reckons something like 50 percent of the world's air routes fall within its capabilities and to be frank he doesn't see an all-electric plane working for anything bigger than this and i think this is what we've seen as well tom is you know anything larger than a very small kind of um regional commuter plane is going to need something more maybe it's hybrid electric or it's hydrogen um but yeah all electric is very difficult to make work in anything bigger but we do know there will be variants of alice although it won't get any bigger we know that they're developing the passenger version for cape air and global x they're developing the cargo version for dhl but they're also hoping to break into private aviation as well um last year they put out some really cool looking renders for a business cabin um Mm. so you know 
know, we I mean, knew that I they already had... thought the cabin we saw in Toulouse uh, in Paris two years, three years ago was a business cabin. <laughs> it was very nice, very mm. comfortable indeed. Um, but that's just for your commuter planes, apparently. They're going to deck it out, you know, as a private jet or not a jet, you know, private whatever it is, electric turbo. <laughs> I don't know what you call that sort of plane. Anyway, um, they um, don't want to try and get into that market until they've got it 100% right for airline and cargo. So that's their current focus. Um, and if you guys want to watch my interview with Greg Davis in full, it is on our YouTube channel. And um, while I'm plugging our YouTube channel, I'll also say that next week, please join us on YouTube Live because I'm going to be doing an interview with Jonathan Ayash, who is CEO and founder of a very interesting South African airline called Lyft. Um, that's going to be at 11 a.m. London time on Tuesday the 11th. So please do join in or um, you know watch it back later if you're not available at that particular time. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about another plane that doesn't fly yet, um, but on a slightly bigger scale, because I remember when I was at school, you know, if I was bored, I was really bad at art and I always failed art. But when I was bored in classes, I would always like draw an outline of a plane and then like design some sort of really rubbish cool livery on the side of it. And, um, you know, <laughs> It's not my job, sadly, um, but that's probably a good thing. Otherwise, we'd have terrible aircraft. Um, although, yeah, maybe <laughs> you could do a bit better than Condor. I don't know. But I, no, I like that one a lot. Um, but I want to talk about really something really cool, because if this was also you, then Airbus is looking for you. Um, can you believe? I know. Um, so... They, they've, they've launched a competition, which I think is, is, is quite odd for Airbus, because I don't recall ever seeing an Airbus competition before. Do you? Not that it springs to mind, yeah. no. Well, anyway, the competition, though, is that they want you to design delivery for the, um, the first or the test version of the Airbus A350 freighter. Um, and, you know, there's prizes involved as well. So, you know, obviously the main prize of this is that your livery is actually going to appear on the side of this aircraft. Um, but firstly, you know, you get to go on two trips um, to France. The first one will take you to the Paris Air Show, uh, where your winning design will be revealed to everybody. And uh, you'll get a little model of your plane. Yay! <laughs> uh, who doesn't love plane models? Um, and that will be in 2023. And then in 2024, you'll actually go to Toulouse to see the first flight of your the A350 freighter with your design on. Um, so That's so cool. <laughs> I know. The timeline is um, 3rd of October. So yesterday, as we're recording this, um, is when the competition opens. So get going, guys. It's already open. Um, submissions are going to close on November the 28th, 2022. Um, so you've got about two months to, to get your design perfected. 15th of March, the winner will be announced. And then, like I said, June next year um, at the air show, you'll be flown out and uh, you'll be able to meet Joe and I as we mill around. Um, <laughs> and then in um, 2024, you'll be at the first flight and hopefully you'll get to meet me there. <laughs> Um, so, uh, if you're yeah, invited, so, um, if you behave yourself, <laughs> yeah, um, you've got over a thousand meters squared of surface to design on. Although you're, you're probably not going to be able to get so minute in your designs because I guess um, you've got to design it on a sort of template that they give you, which I guess is an A4 paper. I haven't looked yet actually, um, but you know they're gonna. Um, they say you can hand draw your design or you can paint it or you can design it in um, some sort of computer program as long as it fits 
that's the, the the what they're looking for. Um, you know, they say one color or many colors. There's there's no limit. Um, obviously, you know, they're not going to accept anything. I guess that's got. Um, you know, they're not going to accept a Boeing livery as a winner, I guess. Um, so, uh, that you would know, be there hilarious. Some, some li- <laughs> the Boeing um, house livery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I do almost want to see somebody submit that just for fun. But, um, you know, I was wondering if we could um, put the, the sky blue uh, simple flying livery on it. Because <laughs> that, that's ready to go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I I'm, think I'm not I'm, sure Airbus would be so delighted, though. Yeah. Well, the official guidelines are, you know, you can only use original artwork. If you're putting any photos on, um, you need to be able to like, have the permission to use them. So, like, your photos, basically, you can't take them off the internet. Um, so, you can't use images or artwork um, that have copyright. Um, your designs, they've got to be put onto the side views that Airbus um, provides, and you've got to leave the logos clear and visible. Um, you're not allowed to modify any of their corporate artwork, uh, which is a bit sad because you can't put the Boeing <laughs> instead of the Airbus, I guess. Um, and, you know, there's certain areas of the aircraft that are marked that have to be kept blank. And, you know, you've also got to think of the technical aspect of this because, um Unless it's um, quite a simple design, which you know it could win, but I don't. Th- I think they'd maybe take something a bit more um, in depth. They're looking to apply the design as um, what's the word? Not not when they paint it, but they basically put stickers the on the final side. Final wrap, yeah. Final, yeah, they basically want to put uh, put the design on as stickers. So um, you know you can't put your design on places where you can't put stickers, like the static ports, for example. Um, yeah. But you know, the sky is really the limit, and that's what they say. Um, so I'm gonna—I'm definitely gonna be taking part, and I'm gonna sneak the simple flying logo into <laughs> into my. I might have uh, a go as well. I mean, I think although, they're looking for like proper artists, really. But uh, I did send the—I sent the um, the news release or, or our coverage anyway to the guy that designed Northern Pacific's livery because I think he's very creative and could do a really good job. I'm sure that's the sort of person they're looking for, not me with my colouring in pencils. You say that, but then I'm, the I'm thinking. Something. I'm thinking of. I think BA did a competition like this years ago with Blue Peter, and um, obviously, you know, um, I think it was it was quite a sort of crayon type drawing that won that. Um, but yeah, nice. uh, so you know, don't you shouldn't rule yourself out just because you're bad at art. Because also, you know, if they really like your idea, but you know, you haven't drawn it great, I'm sure that they could still pick you and work with you to Make maybe sit down with. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't like it, but <laughs> um, so yeah. So um, who are we going to see this with? Obviously, this this is only going to stay with Airbus, and I guess it's because they're vinyl wrapping it. It's not intended to stay long term on the aircraft. Um, still be super cool to see your own design yeah doing some test flights and maybe yeah, some exactly. demonstrations at air shows very cool yeah um so in the bigger picture you know there's 31 orders for the a350 now um etihad has seven air france klm's four alc has seven cma cgm i'm just saying letters now <laughs> has four <laughs> silkway west airlines has two and singapore airlines has seven so um you know i'm really excited to see this plane take off because it's it's going to be i think an exciting couple of years with the a350 freighter rivaling the triple seven um eight freighter mm, absolutely and uh, yeah, we'll see if Boeing responds with a seven eight seven freighter. Um, but that's that's for another day. That conversation. <laughs> so I thought it was time to catch up on what's going on in Russia a little bit. Um, 
you know, we we do know that there's a lot of um, problems for the aviation industry there, shall we say. And there were a few developments this week that are definitely worth mentioning. Um, Most notable was that Russia has lost its place on the International Civil Aviation Organization's Governing Council. So this is ICAO, um, to those who prefer the acronym. Uh, It didn't win enough votes from fellow members and the issues for not getting votes were cited as its violation of Ukrainian airspace and theft of hundreds of foreign aircraft. Um, So the country received 80 votes, which was six short of the required 86 votes to stay on the ICAO Council. Um, The the council is reserved for states of chief importance to air transport. Um, And of course, Russia is accused of a variety of offences that go against the 1944 Chicago Convention, um, including bombing civilian airports, dual registering aircraft. Russia has responded saying this was purely a a political move and doesn't reflect its importance to air transport. And it, of course, has called for a procedural review. So it's not taking it lying down. However, Adina Valen, who is the European Union Transport Commissioner said it wasn't political. She said that um, we cannot accept that a member breaching so clearly the Chicago Convention sits in the very council that should act as its guardian. This is not about politics. Oh, I can't speak today. This is not about politics. It's about the fundamentals of this organisation. So it's the first time ICAO has really been shaken up um, for, well, ever. Um, So it's existed for more than four decades and it's the first time a member has ever been voted out. The only other major change to ICAO in all of its existence has been the addition of China in 2004. Um, But other than that, the group hasn't changed in over 40 years. So um, as we know, ICAO is hosting its first assembly in three years. There's a, a large focus on airline emissions. So hopefully by the next podcast, we'll be able to give some feedback on some outcomes from that. Um, we're still waiting to hear if there are any and what they are. Um, but for Russia, um, its agenda is very much about how it's going to manage without Airbus and Boeing. So as we know, sanctions have prevented Russian airlines from ordering any new planes, getting spare parts or really having anything to do with both major manufacturers factories. So now Russia says it's going to do it on its own. It's going to rely on Russian-built airliners to feed its transport industry. And in fact, um, the state-owned Rostec said that it's planning to deliver more than a thousand locally made airplanes by the end of this decade. Um, Rostec in a statement said to us, foreign aircraft will drop out of the fleet. We believe this process is irreversible and Boeing and Airbus planes will never again be delivered to Russia. We don't expect sanctions to be eased and we're building our plans based based on the existing tough scenario. Um, So, you know, big words from Rostec there. And I I don't know how they're planning to keep up with the demand. Um, I mean, if we look at the country's biggest carrier, Aeroflot, for example, um, the the airline is confirmed to have ordered some 339 locally built Russian aircraft, which are in what they call import substituted form. So they only use parts made in Russia that aren't sourced from unfriendly countries, including the engines. Of course, that doesn't solve the problem short term. Aeroflot's current fleet is very Airbus and Boeing heavy. It's got 130 A320s, 48 737s on the single aisle. On the wide body side, it's got 52 planes that are a mix between A330s, A350s, 747s and 777s. Um, So the narrow bodies could potentially be replaced by the MC21. Um, However, that's not due to enter service until 2024 at the earliest, probably more like 2026. 
There is no solution on the wide body side at present. There's nothing being manufactured that could replace those planes. Um, on the regional jets, obviously, Rostec is working hard to get the SSJ new out in the market, um, but it's not fully certified yet. So this is the russified version of the original SSJ. It's got no foreign parts. Um, I was so going to say, isn't the original SSJ already pretty Russian? <laughs> yeah, it's fairly Russian, but the original SSJ uses the Powerjet engine, which is produced between Safran and MPO Saturn. Um, but of course, France isn't a friend of Russia anymore. So um, they're not going to be using the Powerjet. They're going to be using the PD-8, which is from um, Russian firm Avia Digital. Um, so, you know, this will work in smaller planes, but I don't know what they're planning to do with bigger planes. And, you know, this is a kind of long-term plan. The, these planes aren't going to be getting delivered until, you know, three, four, five years down the line. And even then they'll be produced at a much lower rate than anything pumped out by Boeing and Airbus. So in the short term, Russian airlines still have a massive challenge to keep their existing fleets flying. Mm. Well, it's really interesting because I was in Toulouse last week and I saw right over in the corner of the airport near where the A380 production line was, um, there's a lot of A350s sitting there um, and Sheesh. they're in um, two particular liveries. Can you guess which ones? <laughs> <laughs> Aeroflot, I'm guessing. Mm. I don't know what the other one would be. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll kick yourself when I tell you. Go on. Qatar Airways. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I counted, I reckon, like six or seven kind of sitting over there in these liveries. But, um, yeah, but she pay 350s, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know some of the Aeroflot ones have gone to Turkish. Um, yeah. And um, some of the A320s, I believe, have been that were meant to go to. S7, for example, have been placed elsewhere. Um, but talking of the A320neo at Toulouse, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite airlines subsidiaries, um, which is Fly Aristan, the low-cost subsidiary of Aristana, um, because they got to have their big day on uh, Thursday. They took delivery of their first brand new aircraft. So um, they've been going since, I think, about mid-2019 now. Um, but, you know, they had, um, when they started, all of their aircraft were coming secondhand from the Aristana fleet. Uh, this is the first aircraft that has really been delivered in the Fly Aristan livery. Um, and it's quite cool because I had a look around. Um, this is, um, I'm going to call it the A320 Leo. Um, and you may think, hang on, no, it's a Neo. But there's got quite a cool story because... Um, the, the logo of Fly Aristan is a lion, a red lion on the tail, and there's a white lion on the belly of the aircraft. And um, the, the um, airline's team told me that this specific aircraft is going to be the first one that they name as well, because th there's the other ones either have names from Aristana or didn't come from Aristana with names and they haven't been renamed. This is the first one they've chosen the name for, so they've decided to call it Leo um, for the star constellation. And obviously, Leo rhymes with Neo quite well. So, A320 Leo is what they're calling the plane. Um, and Was it on the registration as well, did I see? No, the registration, sadly, is EIKBP, which um, I oh. think is the... Um, 
I I had to code for one of the Ukrainian airports, I think uh, Kiev. Okay. Because <laughs> um, okay. uh, I was seeing this thinking, hang on. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, the future aircraft that they take delivery of new, they're also going to name after constellations. Um, but obviously, they'll all have the lion on, I believe, in the livery. Um, but it's really cool because I got to have a little chat with the uh, managing director of uh, Fly Aristan, a chap called Adrian. And he was telling me about, you know, how they've made this plane... Um, um, low costified, if that makes sense. Um, you know, they've got 188 seats on the plane. Um, they've got um, right at the back row, right pretty much where the back door is, they've got an extra two seats on the left. Um, and they've even actually, um, it's quite interesting. I've never seen this on a narrow body before, but the two sides of seating are actually staggered slightly uh, towards from the emergency exits over the wing backwards um, to accommodate this additional row. Um, there's no toilets where you'd traditionally find them either because you know usually you find the toilet is the last seat then the toilet then the door um but this plane it, it's a bit like the embraer e2 uh, when we went in that the toilets are actually right in the back where you'd usually find the galley parts um so you've got two toilets um basically where you'd find the back wall of the aircraft um, one of them is slightly smaller, and then you've got one which actually has a crew seat on the door. So <laughs> you have to take a second look. Is that a toilet? And then they've got a tiny little galley um, to the left of that. But obviously, you know, low-cost carrier, the galley isn't the number one priority. So, um, you know, the smaller one works. But it's really interesting because he was also telling me that um, the lessers, I think it's Aviation Capital Group, are leasing the aircraft to fly Aristan. And when they were talking about the configuration of the aircraft, the lessers were like, okay, so you don't want this, but we'd really like to have um, this cabling put into the aircraft just so it's there if we need it in the future. And he was saying that he said, no, you know, that's extra weight, that's um, less profits for us. So um, he was really fighting the hard bargain there, he was telling us, uh, in terms of weight um, to meet uh, the low-cost model. But it's really interesting as well, because I was asking about, you know, how much does it cost to reserve a seat? Because uh, I'm very used to um, to Ryanair prices, and I'm sure uh, you know that they're not particularly cheap. But what would you, what, what do you reckon it costs to, uh, save a, to buy a specific seat on this plane? I don't know. I mean, what's Ryanair? It's usually like 15, 20 I think up to 30 euros. for the front row seats. The good ones, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Let's go for 20. Okay, well, so I think it was about $2 for most seats and $8 for the really premium seats. So, wow. Um, and he was also saying, you know, I asked if they're splitting up groups um, on the same bookings. And I think he was like, no, we don't do that. So, you know, it's, it's funny because it's not such a... Um, a drive in Kazakhstan to book these extra um, additions. And it's quite interesting because obviously Kazakhstan didn't have a low-cost airline industry before Fly Aristan. And they were mm. um, a lot of people were telling me that they've really had to educate into uh, into the population that this is what a low cost carrier is because um, you know um, <laughs> where's my free snacks and yeah, drinks why yeah. can't I bring a check bag <laughs> yeah people were sort of complaining about the service and it's like but this is this is what you get and I, I think um, what I understood was that some people thought that priority boarding meant that somebody would come and find you in the terminal and take you to oh, the, sweet. the plane and or things like <laughs> this so they they had a little bit of negativity when they first launched but they've spent a lot of um, time and energy educating their travelers and the general public about 
what a low-cost airline is um, and it seems yeah. to be really sort of um, picking up for them now. I mean, they make up around half of Aristana Group's um, total passengers for 2021. So, mm. um, you know, clearly Kazakhstan... Proving popular. Yeah, Kazakhstan is the low-cost carrier, uh, is the the place to be for low-cost carriers because there's, there's no competition really on that scale other than trains, which people have been taking for decades and these go slow and take ages to get between these two cities. So it's really a, a big step change. And I'm really excited to see what comes next with their expansion. Mm. Let's hope Ryanair doesn't get wind of it. No, I don't think <laughs> so. Ryanair's going to end up over in Asia anytime soon. I think Wiz is, <laughs> is probably, um, they're probably just going to start around the world route at some point. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I wanted to finish up today by talking about a very special Boeing 747. Um, it's a Boeing 747 FP. I would say. It's the, yeah, one of the most special. Um, and the registration is N747NA, owned by NASA and officially known as the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. But of course, you and I know it as SOFIA. Um, so SOFIA took her last flight um, earlier this week, or last week, should I say, on Wednesday, September 28th, um, at just before 9pm local time. So she took off from Palmdale in Florida, um, flew for about eight hours, taking it around the North Pacific Ocean, which is, you know, regular territory for that particular plane. But it, it's very sad. It's the end of an era. Um, so to give you a bit of a recap on Sophia, it began development in back in 1996, um, and NASA got hold of this 747SP that they wanted to install this big heavy telescope on. Um, it took its first flight in 2010, but achieved full operational capability in 2014. And it was supposed to be a 10-year project from 2010. Um, so it co it completed its um, kind of prime mission by the end of 2019. But then because it had been so useful, they gave it a three-year extension. And during the time it was flying, it made many interesting observations, um, the moon, the planets, the stars, even assisted in the... Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm really struggling with words today. Uh, even assisted in the discovery of water on the sunlit surface of the moon in 2020, the first time we'd ever learned about that. So Sophia's really been one of a kind aircraft. She's flown all over the world. Um, it's been maintained and operated by NASA's Armstrong Flight Research Center in Palmdale, California, um, but also in partnership with um, DLH, which is a German um, research organization. I'm sure you know lots about Tom. Um, but of course, NASA announced the end of SOFIA earlier this year um, after a report concluded that the mission's scientific productivity no longer justifies its operating costs. So she has finished. She has hit the ground potentially for the last time, but certainly for the last time as the Stratospheric Observatory. Mm. Um, but what's going to happen to that Boeing 747 now? I hope it well, ends we... up in a museum. That's what I'd say. Let's see. We had a chat with um, a lovely chap called Paul Hertz, who is senior advisor for NASA's Science Mission Directorate. He's also a former Astrophysics Division Director and former SOFIA program scientist, so knows this project inside and out. Um, according to him, they have to follow a standard process set by the US government for the disposal of equipment that's no longer needed. What this basically means is it involves offering it out to other government agencies first. Um, but Paul doesn't expect any agencies to be particularly interested in Sophia. Not um, another he, Air as well Force as, One. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, along with you, Tom, he is definitely hoping it gets snapped up by an aviation museum. Um, he said that they are anticipating one or more museums expressing an interest. And once they've received all those expressions of interest in, then they have to go through a standard process to decide how to um, dispose of the observatory, shall we say. Um, but he did say that other artefacts from the programme are already being placed with um, museums. So it's not just the plane. Obviously, there's lots of things from the inside. There's reports, there's photography. Um, so SOFIA as a project may well be spread over several different aviation museums. But of course, what we're interested in is where the SP goes. Um, you know, there's a lot of museums that I can think of that would be a great home for SOFIA. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hmm. Yeah, well, I was in um, Aeroscopia the other day, which is the Toulouse um, Aviation Museum. And, you know, just seeing they've got Concords and A380s and A300s and even the Super Guppy, um, mm -hmm. which started its life out in transport with NASA. And I think the one they have worked for NASA. For, oh, no, the, that's what they were saying. The last Super Guppy is like, it's over 60 years old or so, but that's still flying for NASA. So, wow. um, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But, you know, if that's... Um, anything to go by hopefully you know i don't think it'll end up there because that's very airbus heavy although i did yeah. spot a boeing sticker yeah. in the super guppy which which did make me smile um <laughs> at the airbus museum yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um hopefully it ends up somewhere but you know i just remember i feel like it was only earlier this year that it got out of maintenance in um in hamburg yeah it did i think that was early this year and um, she'd gone down for the first time ever to Christchurch in New Zealand and was doing some flying from there. And she was supposed to do a lot more flying from there. But then there was a big storm um, and part of a wing got damaged. So they had to put it in maintenance there. And she didn't end up doing as much flying as she should have. But she's still been very busy. And uh, I was reading, there's an incredible blog on the NASA website where they kind of retell all the stories of the discoveries made with the help of Sophia. Um, so it's well worth a read. Um, I'm encouraging our Evergreen team to do a bit of a synopsis of it because I just got lost in a little wormhole of, oh, look at those photos and, oh, that's very interesting the other day um, when I was researching what Sophia had been up to. But uh, end of an era for sure. Um, but, you know, she served us well and I do hope that we get to visit her in a lovely museum one day. Fingers crossed. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and as usual, welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.